Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show here on CFAX 1070, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. If you need an opinion about mortgages or if you need a ins- or if you need some insight into your home insurance policy, Denise and Lori are great people to chat with. If you need their contact information, just visit the CFAX 1070 website and look under shows. There you'll find us, The Whole Home Show, with me, Tony Joe, and there you'll find their contact information, or you can always reach me, and I'd be happy to connect you. Also, if you're looking for an expert realtor to help you with either the purchase or sale of a property, you can always call me. I am a 26-year local veteran and a top agent with Remax Camosin, Victoria's most productive real estate brokerage. Today on our show, our topic is permaculture. We'll be talking about the tiny home courses on Vancouver Island. Yes, you heard that right. Tiny home courses. Uh, Toby Elliott is the organizer of the events, and Kenton Zerbin is the educator who delivers the program. We're going to have a great conversation with them. Now, you're probably wondering what permaculture is. I'm going to explain it to you, but I will do so after the break. Uh, What we will do, as we always do, is start our show with our weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about things going on in real estate, either here in Victoria or elsewhere in the country, give us a call on our hotline. The number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or you can find us online at the cfax1070.com website, and I'll be happy to discuss it with you on air. I received an email this week from Lindsay, and Lindsay said, We've just bought a home, and the seller now wants to change the closing date. Can they do that? All right, so, Lindsay, a couple things. Uh, Presuming that your offer is unconditional. So by having said that you bought a house, I presume that means that uh, you've made an offer, everything is firm, uh, you know that the house is yours, you've paid your deposit, there are no more conditions to meet, you've already satisfied your financing, your building inspection, uh, any sort of zoning requirements, all of those things I'm guessing you have done. And you've got a seller who now wants to change their date, whether it's before or after what you have decided. So your question is, can they do that? Well, they can't do that on their own. Because you have an agreement in place with the seller, uh, any changes that uh, are to be made can only be made with approval of both the seller and you, the buyer. So uh, there's a lot of things to consider here. Uh, First of all, can you even change the date? Is it something that you are willing to do? Uh, If it is, sometimes a day change is not necessarily a bad thing. We often have cases, like I'm dealing with one right now, where the uh, buyer actually wants to move the dates up uh, a couple of days instead of the 30th of the month. They want to go like the 27th. That actually turns out to be a good thing for my seller because it will enable them to actually uh, move on to their next home in a timely fashion. Uh, The bottom line is any sort of changes to a contract, whether it's a date change or any other sort of modification, uh, requires a paper trail. So it has to be written out uh, in uh, what is called an amendment form, so something that amends the contract as it is written. uh, And it requires the signature of both parties, so both the seller and yourself before they can move forward. Now, on the flip side here, maybe you don't want to change the date. 
Maybe it is ideal for you. Maybe you're relying on uh, your, maybe your tenancy requires that you have to be out of your existing property on the contract date, things like that. You don't have to. Um, the seller can't just assume that it's going to be okay by asking the question. Uh, hopefully the two agents have gotten together and talked about this and uh, perhaps worked out uh, a situation. But uh, if it is not feasible for you, if it is not possible, uh, then no, you don't have to. The bottom line is both of you have to be in agreement uh, and it has to be in writing. A purchase contract, of course, is a legal document. Uh, when it is there and a deposit is in place, a deposit is in place. It binds both parties together to what is expressly written out in the agreement. There are no other uh, changes uh, or any other modifications that can be done to the contract. It is essentially written in stone. And if there is a, a requested change that happens after the fact, then that is something that has to be worked out uh, and confirmed. So, uh, Lindsay. Hopefully everything goes well with you. An important thing is to make sure that you have a good contact and communication with your agent. And I'm presuming that your agent has good contact with the seller's agent as well too, uh, to be able to, uh, to deal with this here. If uh, the rest of the listeners have a real estate question they'd like answered on our show, please, again, visit the website, which is cfax1070.com. Uh, that's cfax1070.com. Or visit our hotline, which is 250 250- 414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Uh, and if you want to hear our past shows, you can always visit, again, the CFAX website. Uh, there you'll find our uh, show page and streaming episodes of our most recent shows. Or you can go to download podcasts either on iTunes or Google Play. If you're a podcast listener, uh, I know I am, listen to a lot of uh, great podcasts, aside from, of course, CFAX, which is the station here uh, in Greater Victoria. Um, but if you have any further questions that you like answered in our show, just give us a call. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. I want to talk really quickly right now about what happened in real estate in Victoria in 2017. Uh, you've all seen the numbers that the Real Estate Board has posted. It looks like sales were down a significant amount, around 20%. Uh, we went from 10,455, I think it was, sales in Greater Victoria last year to around 8,000 and something. Uh, and some people have said, oh my goodness, sales are down. That must mean things are tanking. Well, I want to remind you all that the numbers of 2017 turn out being the third best year since we recorded at the Real Estate Board in 1989. Uh, the biggest years were 2016. Uh, also, 1991, which happened to be the year that I got my license and started selling real estate here in Victoria. That was about 9,200 sales. Uh, and the third biggest year, as I just mentioned, was 2017. So if you're wondering what's going on, all it is is we've just come off of the uh, superheated market of 2016 into something that is becoming a little more stable. Don't get me wrong. It's still really a seller's market until such time as we see a lot more inventory entering into the marketplace. Uh, I said in a prior show that we did not exceed 2,000 listings in the entire 2017. That's really low. You know, if you imagine going to a store and needing a loaf of bread, 
you know, right now you go to the grocery store and there's a hundred loaves of bread on the shelf. That's all great. But what, what would happen if there was only five or six? You don't have a lot of choice. Uh, in the case of real estate, which is a, uh, probably actually the ultimate, uh, description of supply and demand, when there are a few things to choose from, all of a sudden people are fighting over each other each other, uh, and they are starting to want to pay more just to make sure they have the benefit of securing that particular property. So what's going to happen in the future here in coming months? Well, I think that we can only start seeing more inventory enter the marketplace. There's been some things that have been implemented uh, by the government recently. There's this whole mortgage stress test uh, that basically uh, came into effect on January the 1st. Uh, that will have the effect of causing buyers to lose some of the purchasing power. Uh, people uh, will need to qualify at a higher rate, not saying that they're going to have to pay the higher rate, but they just need to qualify. We've talked about this in prior shows with our mortgage expert, uh, Denise Webster, uh, but that will knock some people out of the marketplace. The other thing, too, is it may cause people to stop looking at homes because they just simply can't afford them anymore and maybe start considering condos. So we're going to see a lot more condo sales happening. I just did a report for a client uh, today, and it is amazing how many new build condos in the five dollars or $600,000 price point have been flying off the shelves nowadays. Wow. When I think about it, $500,000 for a condo seems like a lot of money, especially considering the first house that I sold was $137,000. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, this is what's happening in our marketplace. Still a very inexpensive market relative to areas like Toronto, or Vancouver. And I know what you're saying. We don't have the amenities that Vancouver and Toronto have, but what we do have is Victoria, uh, which means no traffic, clean air. Uh, there's not a lot of road rage uh, on streets like Granville and Oak uh, <laughs> down there in, in that area. Victoria is a great place to be. That's why everyone wants to be here. So your investment is sound here. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break. And when I come back, we're going to be talking about the tiny home courses. Back in just a moment. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Today on our show, we're talking about the tiny home courses on Vancouver Island. I mentioned that earlier, just before our break here, and I'm sure a lot of you are wondering, what is this? What is this all about? Well, I have to tell you, I've been keeping an eye on this program here uh, by social media for the past little bit, and I am, I'm just thrilled about this because I'm very intrigued to learn more myself. So one of the things I love about being the host of The Whole Home Show um, is that I get to learn along with you as well, too, about all of these neat uh, programs that are coming around, uh, not only here in Victoria, but also on the island and elsewhere in the country as well, too. With us on the line right now, we have Toby Elliott. Toby is the organizer for tinyhomecoursesvancouverisland.com. Toby, thanks for joining us. Hi, Tony. Thank you. Uh, Toby, so let's start from the very beginning here. Tell us about Tiny Homes. What is this all about? Well, the the larger context is Tiny Homes have become popular, I guess, in the last eight to ten years. And the movement's been pushed, I think, from the states. You know, places like Portland, Oregon, um, people are building these funky, really beautiful homes on wheels and then going traveling with them. So it's kind of a... It seems like a gypsy lifestyle <laughs> outside, yeah. but it's really been um, becoming more and more mainstream as people are looking for housing solutions for, you know, even staying in their community. So um, tiny homes, they're usually anything from, I guess, 150 square feet to, you know, anywhere 
maybe up to 300 or 400. You can have 14-foot-long uh, gooseneck trailers or 10-foot sort of uh, tow-along packages, and they can be fixed or on wheels. So tiny homes, they it's a pretty broad range, They um, but it basically means anything that's quite small and usually can be moved around, although not necessarily. Well, you know, you mentioned Portland. I mean, Portland is one of those areas there where um, it has been, it's, it's become very difficult to find housing. And yeah. this is this is true of Greater Victoria here as well too. And as property values continue to escalate, as they most likely will be, uh, combined with the fact that geographically uh, it's tough in Victoria because we're surrounded by water on three sides, and we've got uh, the Malhat Mountain Range on the fourth side. We have no expansion space, right? Exactly. And I come from a Gulf island. I live on Gabriola Island, and we've got the same issue. There's only so much space. Um, and as more pressure is put on the cities, uh, Vancouver um, especially has pressed outwards. And we're seeing this not just in, in the Gulf Islands or the coastal communities, but my brother up in 100 Mile, you know, people wow. are buying up property like crazy. And it's not like there's a shortage of land in Canada. I mean, come on, we're a pretty huge nation. We are. Um, but, but keeping close to community and access to services is really, really key, especially with aging populations um, as well, which I know is, is a key issue with Victoria. So um, tiny homes is possibly just one little solution, if I can use the pun, mm-hmm. um, to <laughs> what is a very complex problem. You know, it's, it's going to take a lot, and a big city plan like Victoria has uh, to tackle the housing crisis is great, but we need to sort of really think creatively if we're going to keep people in our communities. So that's actually the goal of why I set up the, the tiny home courses. Um, I was motivated by, you know, I've got um, it's sort of a retirement community here on Gabriola Island. Lots of people buy land. They've they've worked their whole lives, and they want to have a beautiful waterfront palace, and they don't necessarily want to rent her there, or they just want to be there for three months of the year. So, you know, even though we still got land available, it's kind of taken up by single family homes, and there's not a lot of um, diversity when it comes to to housing. So tiny homes are one solution and one that I really love because they're environmentally friendly. I mean, mm-hmm. usually they can come with a composting toilet. You can um, you can have ones that plug into septic or not, um, but they have to come up with really creative solutions to have the smallest footprint possible because you're going to pick up and take this this house on the road. So everything has to be the most efficient, the smallest. Um, and usually economical, too. So they're very creative in, in how we can build these homes. Nifty. We're on the line right now with Toby Elliott, who's the organizer of Tiny Home Courses, VancouverIsland.com. Uh, Toby, the website there is tinyhomecoursesvi.com, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I w- I've been on it because I've been, I've been searching it for a bit. It's kind of neat seeing uh, photos and, and, uh, uh, and things that, that people have done. How many are around, by the way, Tiny Homes? You mean Tiny Homes? Yeah. Well, it's really hard to estimate. I I believe, you know, there's a couple here on Gabriola, but they're all hidden. Um, most of them. The the problem is there's nowhere legal to put a tiny home yet. If that's your primary dwelling, mm-hmm. um, and we'll talk about some of the issues. I know you've got a guest coming later. It's it's where do you put these things? So people have them, but they're not necessarily talking about them or making it public that there's a secondary home on a piece of property. So even here in the rural communities, it's it's a bit hush hush. So 
Um, so yeah, we're running two courses. Then there's one in Nanaimo, which we've all but sold one seat. Um, we had to cap them at 30. And uh, the course in Victoria happening um, at the end of this month is totally sold out. There was such a demand. We've got a, a huge waiting list. So just out, of, just out of curiosity, you may not be able to answer this question, but I mean, wh- who is coming to these courses? Like what um, what is the main driver of interest? Um, most people want to build a secondary home, um, either as a rental or sort of a retirement home for themselves, or they just want a secondary suite as, as a sort of a studio. And so a lot of people, but a lot of people are driven by the economic reality. And actually one of our organizers was recently renovated in, uh, in Victoria. And, uh, so she's looking long-term down the landscape going, I, you know, I want to build small. I want to fit into this community. I want to stay in my city, mm-hmm. but if I'm going to get renovated, that then how do I live here? So, so we're really trying to work with advocates to find solutions, and, and my part seems to be bringing the education and well, empowering it's, people. It's, it's very interesting, you know, because we've had conversations on this show before about the supply versus demand argument. And how, of course, you know, uh, the the region here, the, the Vancouver Island, Gabriola, like anywhere, uh, they're, they're very attractive places to be. It's drawn people from, you know, mainly the lower mainland who've decided to come here. Um, but the issue that we have here is the lack of supply. There's there's nowhere to go. And, you know, for the person that you mentioned has been renovated, you know, the unfortunate thing is uh, um, there's no place to go because the rental market is tight as well. Yeah, and, you're at point five percent. Is that is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. If yeah. if if that for sure. But uh, for the listeners, by the way, if you want to know what rent eviction is, because I don't think we've talked about that yet, uh, that is where a uh, property owner has uh, enacted their right to have a tenant leave because they're doing a, a significant renovation on their home. Um, unfortunately, some landlords have used this as a go around to basically, um, uh, get rid of their existing tenant so that they can get a brand new tenant at a higher rate. And that is completely right. illegal. That's not what it's for. Um, I mean, I don't know the case of, of your colleague there. It may have been a legitimate renovation. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. but, but at the very end of the day, it's an unfortunate case for, for that person, right? Yeah. Well, like I say, it's, it's going to take a lot of creativity. Um, so, I mean, what makes tiny homes potentially attractive, and I don't think they're a solution for everything, is that they can sit on the land with very little impact. You can fit them in small spaces, so if you have a little extra room, um, you know, perhaps the city could open that up for a secondary dwelling, or you can make some rental income. Um, so it's it it's going to take a lot of different um, solutions for, especially a city like Victoria, because like you said, space is such a huge issue. Well, but the other thing that I have often said as well, too, is that the uh, the powers that be, you know, either at the municipal level of or wherever, because of where we're at right now here in Victoria, there needs to be more creativity in the minds of our of our civic leaders. And and I, I right. think this is a really, really uh, a viable alternative. I mean, there's a number of things. I don't think there's any one solution, but uh, tiny homes is, is, uh, is very nifty. That's right. Well, until public pressure mounts, the officials really aren't, you know, they're not going to champion this themselves. They're too busy. They're, they're public servants and, and there's a lot of demands on their time. And I, I get that. But as we educate people more and more, they do some research and then we want them to work with their elected officials. Um, I know there's a Saanich councillor, Fred Haynes, who's uh, been advocating for, 
for tiny homes for quite some time and, and affordable housing. So you've got your champions there. It's just the call needs to be there and the groundswell from the public themselves. So yeah, there, yeah. There, there has to be that driving force. Toby, if people need uh, to reach you for future, future tiny home courses, how do they do that? Uh, so tinyhomecoursesvi.com or tinyhomecoursesvi at gmail.com. You can always reach us. We're actually probably going to partner with somebody on the mainland and potentially offer two-week build courses as well. Wow, so, wow. Uh, that we may expand the curriculum where people can actually participate and be part of a build um, of an actual tiny house in the future. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, to our listeners, we will have, uh, after our second break, Kenton Zerbin, who is uh, an educator, who will be talking all about what these courses are like. Toby, thanks for coming on the line with us. Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, yeah, and looking forward to, to hearing more about Tiny Home Courses. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show was brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. Today, we're talking about tiny homes and the tiny home courses here on Vancouver Island. We just had as our guest Toby Elliott, who's the organizer of the events. A little, a little later, we'll be talking with Kenton Zerbin, who is the educator uh, on tiny homes. But right now on the line, we have with us Denise Clowater. Denise is part of the advocacy, advocacy group uh, for tiny houses. Uh, Denise, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Denise, tell us about your backstory with tiny homes and what made you interested um, I was living in a condo, and I, I was not happy living there. The strategies were going up. I had a 25-year mortgage, and I was having a hard time making ends meet. And so I had found out more about tiny houses uh, from different people. It's kind of a sort of trendy thing. It's out there in the space on TV, et cetera. And I thought, this is what I want to do. So I sold my condo and had a plan to build one, and then I found out very... They weren't legal to actually live in them here uh-huh. on the on the island and in the greater Victoria and Saanich, central Saanich area. So I became involved uh, with an advocacy group that is trying to promote uh, changing of bylaws to allow tiny houses. Okay, so now how many that you know of, how many tiny houses are here in our region? I know five people or four people personally that live in a tiny home. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so and, and what is it that the municipalities need to hear in order to start supporting tiny homes a little more? Because as I was talking about with Toby a little earlier, I mean, it's a fact that we're, we're at a housing crisis here in Victoria. You know, real estate prices are as high as they ever have been. There's no land, hard to find places to rent. Um, th- this seems like a, like a great alternative uh, for, for people. We think it's a great alternative. Um, I think what we we have approached different municipalities and tried to be part of uh, densification pro, densification programs with them and projects. And what they want to know is how how can we make it happen? So basically, we have to do all of the background and look at other communities in BC, for instance, Terrace, mm-hmm. who have had tiny homes as part of their um, part of their densification. Uh, process where they didn't have enough places for people to live, which is something that we've come upon now. So because the municipalities, there's about 13 of them in our area, they don't, they're not large enough uh, to start doing the research. They're basically putting it upon us to research all the different aspects of it and bring it forward to them to make them look at it and see if it will fit into their, their ideas about 
um, more affordable housing and all the different ways of, of bringing more um, housing in, in this area. Well, and that's another joy about having 13 distinct municipalities and having different zoning uh, requirements and inspection offices and all that kind of stuff, right? It's true. And, and I mean, it, it could be an opportunity as well. Um, if there would be one one municipality who would be willing to try, if we could, you know, give them enough information and have it easy for them to say yes. Uh, there's a lot of things that we have to look at, a lot of, you know, different, different types of... Um, aspects to the living in a tiny home, different types of aspects of the building of a tiny home, which you will probably hear very shortly. So there's a lot of things that have to be put together uh, in order to actually present it to them and have it be, you know, a nice package where they can understand it will be easy for them to say yes. For sure. Well, uh, you know, I don't want you to identify necessarily the four people that you know that live in tiny mm-hmm. homes, but um, what do they, what do they report? Like what's life like in a tiny home? Well, I, I, they love living in their tiny home. They talk about getting rid of a lot of stuff. And they've all had their tiny homes made so they work specifically for their own needs. Some people have them smaller. Some people have them a little bit longer. Some people have, I know one woman has a, she has an accounting business or a bookkeeping business. So she has a little office built into um, part of her loft bedroom. And somebody doesn't need that much space, so they use it to, you know, have some of their uh, art pieces displayed. So it's what the nice thing about tiny homes, and I think what people really love about them, is that they're made to fit you. So you don't need as much space when you have something that that is built specific for your needs. As well, um, it's affordable. Mm-hmm. You're living in your own home. You're you're able to. Uh, pay for what needs to be paid for and not go into further and further into debt. Mm-hmm. And they got through this little cold snap that we have with the snow as well, with a few minor bumps along the way, but they're educating themselves as they go along. So they're they're happy and cozy in the tiny home so far. Yeah. And so so when when we talk about the municipalities, like are there have they identified any specific areas that um, that concern them about tiny homes? Well, one of the things is, is with the tiny homes is the uh, building codes because you can't use the same building codes as we have for the regular buildings now because, for instance, your toilet is, is going to be a little bit uh, closer to the sink in a tiny home than it is in a regular home. So there's things such as that and things like last Door openings so, and, yeah. Yeah, so all of those things, um, and they're all those things are being looked at at the states and being addressed. And so we do have a national uh, code that's working on that in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing is, um, same as anything, same as having a garden suite, what about parking? Yeah. So they want to know about parking and what kind of, what, too many people parking, um and the neighbors, some of the neighbors do not want the tiny houses. They think that it's going to bring down the value of their properties. But then there's some people that are very, very open to it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. We had an exhibition uh, last summer, and we had over 200 people there. And people want them for different reason, reasons as well. So we're trying to find out more about the people who don't want them in their neighborhood and why they don't want them there so we can educate ourselves on it and try to make it so we can all fit in together and make, make it work. 
Yeah, yeah, and something that Toby had identified earlier is is community, right? So to be able to to, to be able to live in live and work in your community, and not have to have a you know a long commute, uh, or or things like or have to move out of town, right? Well, that's the thing. Right now, with a tiny house, you can probably move up island or move, you know, and and put a tiny house in there. But where is it? Where is the work around those areas? And you can't move into too rural of an area because of the agricultural laws with the agricultural land. So, um, yeah, you want to be able to to have your homes in a place where you can easily get to where you need to go, and you can use transit. A lot of people who are are interested in tiny homes are also interested in living more uh, greenly, living with less, you know, less, less dependency on fossil fuels, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so basically the, the cost to run them is because you're looking at something that's tiny, then you're going to have mm-hmm. uh, similarly small uh, running costs, right? Yes, the running costs are going to be small. Um, you're going to make it as efficient as possible. Some people like to have solar. Some people use, use electricity. Some people use on um, on demand uh, heaters, etc., and you know you can talk to someone who's uh, like your next guest who will know more about that. But uh, you can easily what we we think would be great is easily pull a tiny house into the back of a larger yard. For instance, replacing a a garden suite mm-hmm. with a tiny home. Now, people who are are going to be investing in building a garden suite are going to have to be putting in forty fifty thousand dollars of their own money. Yeah. Uh, just to build it, bring and 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 then they'll have to charge quite a bit for people to live there in order to pay it back, which is not affordable. Mm-hmm. They could invest, say, two to five thousand dollars in a, uh, a a launch pad, or not a launch pad, but a gravel yep. area, and have a sewer and water system extended, and a tiny house could move in there. Yeah, and they wouldn't get paid as much, but they're the the. Um, the amount of money putting out is not as much. Yeah, so we, they, we think that's one of the solutions. Yeah, so they, they you couldn't command the same amount of rent as you would in a in a in a typical like suite in a house or something like that. No, but you're not building a fifty hundred thousand dollar structure in your backyard either. Yeah, that's, that's you're not cool. investing the amount. And if you don't want someone living in your backyard after you discover that doesn't work for you, then the person will you can have the person leave eventually hmm. uh, on whatever agreement that you have. So it's it's more flexible. It gives more people the opportunity to do it. So um, I don't know how many people could afford um, in getting $100,000 against their mortgage to build it's true. in the backyard. It, as opposed to more people would be able to afford $4,000, $3,000. Very and interesting. Get, yeah, and then get a, you know, a $400 uh, rental to them every, every month from... Uh, a homeowner that is responsible for their own home and their own maintenance of the home. Yeah. So they wouldn't have to be taking care of the maintenance of this tiny home either. It would be, it would be the tiny home uh, owner that would be taking care of that. And you could pay a licensing fee every year on your tiny home. So you would still be paying into taxes. And that's just one, one of the ideas that we have as, as a part of the densification uh, process that would fit in, in, for some of the municipalities. Well, you know, there's it, this is so exciting, and you know, it sounds like you guys have been uh, uh, putting together some 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 great work here uh, as part of the advocacy group. So, gee, Denise, thanks for coming on the air with us today. Uh, I think it's really important for listeners to to hear from someone like you uh, who's experiencing this, and uh, I look forward to to seeing in the news uh, this moving forward. Yes, 
And I, I would encourage people who really want this to happen, uh, we really need people to stand by us. So if we're going to make a presentation to a municipality, instead of us having five people there, we would like 300 people there who are on, you know, we have a, a Facebook living tiny on Vancouver Island. We need you to show up for us. We're there to do the work. We'd like more people to come and help us, and we need people who are really interested in standing up for it. That's great. There. Well, I'll be I'll be at the next one. Thanks for coming, Denise. Excellent. Thank Appre- you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Today, we're talking about the tiny home courses on Vancouver Island. We've had Toby Elliott, who is the organizer of the events, and also uh, Denise, who is a member of the advocacy group uh, in terms of having these tiny homes in our community here. But our guest with us right now is Kenton Zerbin. Kenton is the educator who will be here on the island uh, teaching and instructing people all about tiny homes. Kenton, thanks for coming online. Thanks for having me, Tony. Glad to be here. Yeah, you know, I'm going to quickly read your bio out, if you don't mind, because listeners need to know who you are. Uh, You are a passionate educator and designer for sustainable living, focusing on tiny homes uh, and and a field of design called permaculture. Uh, You obtained a degree in education and working in the school system, after which you found a new curriculum that would train people to live within their social and physical landscape. Um, finding that in permaculture, you spent four years becoming a certified permaculture designer, then certified as a permaculture teacher, then working and teaching across Australia, Canada, and into the Caribbean, where you helped found a school for permaculture. And when you came back uh, to Alberta, which is where you're at right now, right? Correct. Yeah, you, you began your educational business, uh, kzpermaculture.ca, uh, and designed and built a cold climate permaculture-inspired tiny home with your wife, uh, which I believe is off the grid, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. You've worked on numerous types of home builds, including straw bale homes, uh, earth ships, and tiny homes, and you have a strong conviction that everyone should understand the basics of living within their ecosystem, including the basis a basics of functional home design. So you've got a great background, Kenton. Now listen, I have used the word permaculture a few times, not only just now, but earlier in the show as well. And I told our listeners that I would explain it, but maybe you should, because you're the expert. What is permaculture? <laughs> that question has been the crux of my profession because nobody <laughs> knows what it is. Okay. Um, it's, it's a system for designing humans back into their landscape. Basically, um, we have to look at that we're in a holistic system and it sustains us. So by understanding system design, we're able to harmonize with our ecosystem but then apply those same lessons um, to how we run our social landscape. So in businesses um, and how we interact with each other, but then also how we design, say, food systems. So hmm. it's basically systems theory, but with a heavy emphasis on the practical of food, home, and community. Wow. So it encompasses a lot. It really does. It, you know what? And that's one of the, the, the tricky things about also the blessing of it is our world is so specialized today that we have so many specialists in different areas, but they don't understand how their relative areas relate to another. Yeah. Right? You even said with the tiny house movement, we got you know bylaw officers who don't understand you know uh, maybe uh, the construction side as as well as uh, you know a builder, and then the builder doesn't understand you know the bylaw side, or they don't understand water management, like. 
there's all these different areas of expertise, whether we're talking about food or homes mm-hmm. or communities, and people aren't talking and, and understanding the bigger picture. Well, and so, I mean, you're, you're talking about inspectors and, and, and all that, and then there's also the social side as well, too, right? Mm, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, we got people. Yeah, go ahead. Tell people about the course. So what, what happens at the course? Okay. So on the first day of the course, I put a heavy emphasis on what does a functional home look like in the first place. Uh, and that's a really important part of the conversation because a lot of tiny homes do come from the state. That's kind of where a lot we're seeing all these shows happening. And a cold climate tiny house looks a little different than uh, just a, a moderate temperate tiny house. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like people to understand first off, you know, what are the basic component parts from a functional perspective? Insulation, thermal mass, windows, heating sources. How do these interrelate together so you have a house that actually meets your needs mm-hmm. and then let's talk about all the cool awesome ways you can design a small space so it's pinterest worthy if you will or you know suits your need interesting all right um as the day goes on so when when people are done the two days what what are they leaving with so um they leave with a, a, a broad understanding of how to start designing, but also the steps for construction. So uh, I continue off actually of your, your previous question. They first learn uh, the basics of a house. Then we go in through uh, some design steps. So they actually get to design on paper. Um, they redesign well-designed tiny homes so they can kind of see how everything fits together. Mm-hmm. And then we actually go outside and we lay them out on the ground to scale. Oh, wow. So they can walk through them. Yeah. You know, it's a great thing to have 17 tiny homes uh, um, on location, but it's a bit hard to coordinate. But we can actually do that on the ground um, using ones that I've, you know, kept a data bank of well-designed ones. And, um, yeah, the students actually get to walk through them, so to say, and go, oh, wow, there's no way I could use this bathroom. Or they can go, oh, this is way too big for, you know, my kitchen, just by seeing the space on the ground, how it's laid out. Um, And then after that, we go into the steps of construction. So um, starting right from the trailer and going right up to the roof and all the utilities, uh, we, we, don't, we do go into utilities, but there's, there's a bit of danger going too detailed because you'll lose people. There's, there's a reason we have plumbers and electricians, and nice. I really advocate to use them. Um, but nonetheless, this is a heavy DIY movement, so showing people the steps of construction so they can see the big picture, and they're well-informed then if they want to take the leap. Uh, whether it's DIY or whether it's at all. Mm-hmm. Some people, they're coming for the course because they're interested and they're, they're intrigued. They want to know more. Others, they just want to, they want to know the know-how. Like just want to have that extra guidance um, and know the resources and know some of the ins and outs, which is a huge part of the conversation from the legal side. So I, I try to offer that at the end of the course. I say, here is, you know, you've learned about the building, you've learned about the design, but there's one last huge component, and that's how do these fit then socially in our landscape, both from a perspective of how to interact with everyone else and, and where to put them. But there's lots of legal implications for on the road, for zoning uh, bylaws, um, and then also for your building code. So giving them a good grounding in those three as well is, is a, an important part because otherwise they'd be running off super excited and building a house and, and potentially getting very disappointed. <laughs> okay. So, you know, having talked to Toby and Denise, I mean, naturally we know that um, municipalities, of course, uh, have not necessarily rubber stamped these yet. Uh, now, there are other areas where tiny homes are more common. Toby mentioned Portland, right? That's an area that, uh, that they're a little more prevalent? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of them there. And and so this is the, the crux of, of things, is, is they're in a legal gray zone. And so 
it's almost by municipality, by municipality that we're getting some success, but they're always looking for precedent and they're looking for someone else to have done a lot of the work with the changes. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of work to, to, to rewrite code and approve it. and There's a time process involved. So change is slow, but people want this. So it needs to come from somewhere. And, and, and we're starting to get it. Like um, the International Residential Code, they actually put in an appendix for tiny homes, which is you know a great step. Um, and then there's different communities in the states that have made uh, special exceptions or rules um, to allow for them. Even my own, actually, um, where I where I live, um, the municipality here, they actually we had a, a frank conversation with them about what is a tiny house and what we why we want to live in one, and here are the the main hitches. And luckily, we caught them in the middle of a of a review of their codes, anyways. And uh, they actually, I wouldn't say they're tiny house friendly now, but they took out some of the major red flags that would actually come up if a you know inspector was to drive by. How long have these been around? Like, is this is not a new, new concept, as it were. I mean, these the, the concept's been around for a while, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, like right from cabins, you know, cabins are small. And if you even go even further back, you know, the, the, the multi-generational small, you know, house, mm-hmm. this, is, this, is, this is centuries of, uh, you know, ways of, of, of living. But people kind of coming back to it, there's been a, a subculture kind of movement for it now for, for decades. Um, where people are going, you know, minimalism, basically. What do I really need to live? Oh, I don't need that much. Yeah. Do, you, uh, do you need 4,000 square feet with a double garage <laughs> and all of the gear and all that kind of stuff you never, you never use, right? Exactly. But I would say that, you know, the, the, it's, it's, coming, it's coming increasingly popular now for multiple reasons. One, it's just, it's just so darn useful. You make your house to meet your living needs rather than living for your house. Uh, is a good way to put it. Yeah. So, you know, you, now you can have a house that costs you $50,000, and then you can spend that money. Otherwise, instead of paying towards debt, mm-hmm. you can be traveling the world. You know, whether you're 18 years old and you just want to travel, yeah. or whether you're 65 years old and you want to retire. Um, or, you know, like this, from a financial perspective, there's many different crowds that are interested in it. Well, but and this is, this, this is the thing, because, you know, there, there, there used to be that thought that, you know, you put 30% of your gross income into, into housing. But, of course, with the cost of real estate in the Lower Mainland and, and in Victoria here as well, people are way past that. And it's, it's hard enough to find places to rent. So, I mean, as an alternative, yeah. this just sounds amazing. Exactly. Absolutely. And so I think there's, there's a huge... Um, incentive for people to kind of go for it for that reason alone. But I think there's a fear too with that, that people are just going to be using these things for affordable housing. And there's maybe an association with them being like looking like trailer parks or something, which is far from the truth because there's many people who are building them. Like, like I said, Pinterest worthy. They're, they're just gorgeous because you you don't have as much building material. It's so much easier to focus on quality. Yeah. Make it nice. So So I I should direct people to the Facebook page because I've been there. I've been following it. There's some great examples there as well. Right. Absolutely. There's, you know, and there's all these different shows and YouTube channels. They're showing off the amazing that people are doing, um, building these amazing homes for super efficient for climates or super, uh, chemical friendly, which is an increasing thing you got to worry about in, in our day and age. So yeah. it's a lot easier to build a, a chemical free local material house if you only have a, a house that's 200 square feet. So, Amazing. Um, 
many, many people are coming into this for lots of different reasons. It's, it's a means it means to pursue your values and enact how you want to live and interact with your world. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I know that your classes this time around in Nanaimo and Victoria are booked. So I'm hoping that our listeners here will keep this in mind. And, and like I said, I would direct the listeners to the Facebook page or go to the website, which again is, um, I've got it right here somewhere, uh, tinyhomecoursesvi.com. Uh, yeah. but wow, so much to talk about. We could talk a lot more, Kenton. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, I, I have spent some time on the website and on the Facebook page. And like I said, I'd encourage any of our listeners to do so as well, because, you know, we've said many times before, what's going to fix the housing crisis here is some creativity in the minds of not only the locals here, but also our, uh, our leaders in the community. So thanks for coming, Kenton. Yeah. My pleasure. And uh, just to throw it out there, too, I'm not sure how far reaching your uh, database is, but because of this interest, I'm, I'm going uh, provincial now in different provinces. So I'm in Saskatchewan as well, have some other courses in B.C., and I'm, of course, running courses in Alberta. Great. So uh, they can check out my website if they want to check out other uh, courses if you have listeners out, out of B.C. Good to hear. All right. Well, thank you, Kenton, and thanks to our other guests as well, too. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in this week. I'm Tony Joe. This is The Whole Home Show. We'll be here for you this time next week.